0: Hi, this is your host, Corbin, and this is your guide for Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin. Now, I have reviewed the previous three Batman films. All of those are linked below. This is Joel Schumacher's sequel to his Batman Forever. Definitely check out my review for that film and your guide for that film. All of that is linked below because there is some weird things that happened between now and then, between those two films. So this will give you uh, some information on what went on, just, just exactly what went so terribly wrong with this movie. Of course, no matter where you're listening, make sure to subscribe and leave us five stars. It's a great free way to help out the podcast. And of course, we have all kinds of other great content down below. Before we get into the making of the film, allow me to take you back to 1997 to remember the top movies released that year. They were Titanic, which would go on to win Best Picture and set some Oscars historical records. Goodwill Hunting, another Oscar contender, won some as well. Princess Mononoke, Hercules, the Disney animated film, The Fifth Element, Scream 2, Starship Troopers, Alien Resurrection, George of the Jungle, a favorite of mine when I was a kid, Donnie Brasco, and for a bonus, because I just saw this movie a couple months ago and I highly recommend you check it out, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. From that year, we have reviewed The Lost World, Jurassic Park, Men in Black, Air Force One, and most recently, Steel. You uh, you don't want to miss our review of Steel. That was uh, quite the doozy. And it's not that too far from the 4th of July, so go ahead and check out Air Force One. That's definitely a good review to listen to around this time. Links to those reviews are in the show notes below. If you'd like to reminisce more about the films of 97, then head over to letterbox.com. And make sure to follow me and Alan over there. Links to our profiles are below. At the 71st Academy Awards, Best Picture went to Shakespeare in Love. So back in 1997, I would have been almost two and a half years old. Clearly too young to remember anything about this movie. But it did continue the tradition of maintaining a PG-13 despite being... Incredibly toyetic, incredibly geared towards children. It's four minutes longer than Batman Forever, but one minute shorter than Batman and Batman Returns. Now, just as of this recording, 16 days ago, it did celebrate its 25th anniversary. That kind of makes me feel old. I'm sure it makes some of you feel old as well. But yeah, it's a quarter of a century old. Batman and Robin, it's hard to believe it has been around for 25 years. It should come as no surprise, as most studios tend to do, when one film does well, especially when it's the third installment, which oftentimes doesn't do as well as the sequel to the first film, they went ahead and greenlit a fourth film because Batman Forever did better than they expected. Now, with the toy companies fully on board and Schumacher ready to fully lean into the camp, in large part due to studio mandate, according to Schumacher, WB pushed out their fourth Batman film just four days over two years since the third film, a pretty fast turnaround. On the small screen, Batman, the animated series, had enjoyed immense success since it had premiered a few months after Batman Returns hit theaters and ended a few months after Batman Forever came to cinemas. That doesn't mean its influence was over, though. In fact, part of Mr. Freeze's origin in this film is inspired by the episode Heart of Ice. I should also note this is technically Warner Brothers fifth Batman movie to hit theaters in the 90s. And of course, you know, I'm counting Tim Burton's Batman from 1989, because speaking of the animated series, It did actually get a theatrical release on Christmas Day of 1993. So a little over a year after Batman Returns hit theaters. And what what would that be? About a year and a half-ish before Batman Forever would come out as well. So it's about in between those films. It got a theatrical release to some pretty positive success. Nowadays, at least according to IMDb ratings, it has the highest rating of all four of these live-action Batman movies I'm reviewing. But since it is not a part of this live-action universe, it's its own thing, don't get me wrong, I adore the animated series. I grew up watching it as a kid. I absolutely love it. I'm not reviewing Mask of the Phantasm right now for this series. Maybe someday down the road I will. But nevertheless, it was a theatrically released Batman film, but it was animated, something that was somewhat novel for the time. But getting back to Batman and Robin, production of this film wasn't all easygoing. In fact, the new Batman played by Val Kilmer was nowhere to be seen for the fourth film. It came out later in interviews, according to Schumacher, that Kilmer quit and Schumacher kind of fired him due to difficulty working with him on the last film. According to Kilmer's story, he didn't realize the fourth film would go into production so quickly. Therefore, he couldn't participate since he was already working on The Saint. Schumacher also believes he quit because he wanted to work on the island of Dr. Moreau with Marlon Brando. Schumacher turned to William Baldwin to play the new Caped Crusader. And as we know with the last film, Schumacher, whoever he wanted to cast, he pretty much got. Also, David Duchovny from X-Files fame was in the running, but ultimately George Clooney got the part. At the time, believe it or not, Clooney wasn't a huge movie star. He had a big role on the daytime TV show ER, and it was part of the shooting schedule that allowed him to film both at the same time. As for the rest of the cast, Ed Harris, Anthony Hopkins, and Patrick Stewart were considered for the role of Mr. Freeze, before the script was rewritten to accommodate Arnold Schwarzenegger's casting. Schumacher decided that Mr. Freeze must be big and strong, like he was chiseled out of a glacier. Uma Thurman was offered Poison Ivy, and Alicia Silverstone was the only actress offered the role of Batgirl. Now, I should note Alicia Silverstone had already quite a bit success with the film Clueless, which had come out about a year and a half prior to this one. It came out the same year as Batman Forever, That's why I always get confused whether she's in Batman forever or not. And there is a blonde about halfway through the film that I'm always mixing up in my mind, whether that's her or not. But she that was kind of her breakout role. From what I understand, she would go on to do a lot more movies in the 90s. Um, She didn't do a whole lot big after this. But honestly, this is probably why she got cast as Batgirl is because of her role in Clueless. Now, at a later time, many people on set came out saying it wasn't that great of an experience creating this film, especially Chris O'Donnell, a.k.a. Robin. He wasn't happy with the way his new suit turned out. He felt like the shooting of the third film was a much tighter experience. This one felt a little bit more sloppy and just off the cuff. Regardless, as you're going to see by scores, it really did show and with critics and audiences reaction to this film. Now, aside from mass marketing toys to young children and collectors alike, Six Flags opened up tie in roller coaster rides, and Taco Bell featured a promotional campaign, including collectible cups and a replica of the Batmobile as a grand prize. <laughs> what a time to be alive! Now, this is the first film in the live action franchise that did not receive an Academy Award nomination. In fact, it received and won multiple Razzies. So as for the Razzie Awards, Joel Schumacher was nominated for Best Director, but he did lose to Kevin Costner for The Postman, a movie I have started but have yet to finish. Um, it did was nominated for Worst Original Song, the song The End is the Beginning is the End, which of course is a horrible title, uh, once again lost out to The Postman for the entire song score, which is hilarious. It actually did not win Worst Picture. That Dishonor went to The Postman as well. Uh, Anaconda, Fire Down Below, and Speed 2 Cruise Control, which have all been you know runners up with this film as well, were also nominated for Worst Picture that year, just in case you were curious. As far as the award, Worst Reckless Disregard for Human Life and Public Property, Con Air won that film. Um, It looks like The Lost World Jurassic Park was nominated as well. Now, Worst Remake or Sequel went to speed to Cruise Control film I never want to see. Um, The Lost World Jurassic Park was also nominated for that. Home Alone 3 got nominated as well. McHale's Navy was also in there. I believe that was an old TV show. Interestingly enough, George Clooney and Chris O'Donnell were nominated for Worst Screen Couple. Uh, That dishonor went to Double Team, Dennis Rodman, which I had no idea he was even in a movie, and Jod-Claude Van Damme. They were the winners for that award. Worst Screenplay went to The Postman once again. Uh, Kiva Goldsman did not get it. Neither did David Kep for Lost World. Dennis Rodman did win for Worst Supporting Actor. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger lost out on that and Chris O'Donnell as well. They were nominated. uh, Both were nominated in the same category. Finally, we get to the big winner. Worst supporting actress went to none other than Alicia Silverstone. She uh, sadly, I guess, I don't know. Maybe she deserves it. I have not rewatched the movie since I'm recording this. Um, But Uma Thurman was also nominated as well. Julia Louise dreyfus Lost for Father's Day, Faye Dunaway, Albino Alligator, which sounds awful, and Mia Yovovich in The Fifth Element. Wow, she was she was nominated also. So looking at the budget for the film, the biggest budget of the entire franchise, $125 million. That's a bonus $25 million from last time. Not to mention, I've heard upwards of $100 million to maybe $150 million just for marketing purposes alone, which is crazy. It actually did 10 million worse than last film, $42.8 million. Um, actually, the second lowest of the four film series. It was still number one at the box office opening weekend. It did beat out My Best Friend's Wedding. Uh, it actually doubled that film's opening weekend. My Best Friend's Wedding, $21.6 million. I enjoy that movie. I highly enjoy that movie. Check that one out. Um, that is a great Dermot Mulroney, Julia Roberts. Uh, rom-com film con air was pushed from number two to three the lost world jurassic park uh, pushed from number three to four and this is a big big thing for 20th century fox speed 2: cruise control number one at the box office pushed all the way down to number five people were not having it and that was its second week Uh, so it it debuted at number one and everybody wised up and didn't want to go see it anymore That was its only weekend in the sun, though, because the following weekend it dropped uh, to $15.7 million, lost 63.3% of its opening weekend gross. Uh, It came in at number three. So what dethroned Batman and Robin? Well, a couple things, actually, which is kind of bizarre. The John Travolta, Nicolas Cage thriller by Paramount Pictures face off came in at $23.3 million. Disney's Hercules actually was it had been in the box office for three weeks, um, but and it last the week prior. It was number 11. My guess is it was a limited release. This was more of a wider release. It jumped all the way up to number two at the box office, grossing twenty one point four million dollars. And then, like I said, Batman and Robin coming in at number three. It just continued to slide it down from there in its third week. Came in at number five with $8 million. It was none other than Men in Black with a beefy $51 million, which is pretty shocking for this kind of independent property. But Will Smith was hot at the time. Tommy Lee Jones was coming off The Fugitive, I believe. That was around this time. I don't, yep, I'm pretty sure. So nevertheless, Men in Black was huge. It knocked Face Off, Hercules, My Best Friend's Wedding, Everything Out of the Park. Actually, my best friend's wedding leapfrogged over Batman and Robin um, to become number four at the box office that opening that weekend. It did have the largest uh, theatrical distribution: two thousand nine hundred thirty-four theaters for opening um, domestically. It would gross one hundred seven point three million dollars. A actually the lowest of the franchise. A huge drop from last week's one hundred eighty-four. And then, I mean, Batman, the original was 251, just absolutely massive foreign markets, 130.8 million dollars, not as big of a drop, um, actually third highest, third lowest, however you want to look at it, it was uh, last week was 152.4, this one came in, you know, 22 million less, that's still significant, but a worldwide total of 238.2 million dollars. Pushing this franchise to fully gross $1.2 billion worldwide. It's a billion-dollar franchise, what can I say? Uh, it still grossed a quarter of a billion dollars, even though it is the lowest-grossing film in the entire franchise. Keep this in mind, listeners. Audiences straight out of the theater gave Batman Forever an A-, they gave Batman Returns a B. This film they gave to a C+. This film, they said, you know, the last one was actually pretty darn good. This one is a flaming pile of garbage. That's what a C plus means, according to a cinema So audiences at the time didn't like this movie at all. Critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 12% approval rating. Audiences, 16%. A dismal Metascore of 28. That is deeply in the red. An IMDb rating of 3.7. That's still a huge drop from Batman Forever's 5.4. And a letterbox rating of 1.8 these are horrible scores absolutely horrible and they really drag down the average of all of these so just to wrap it up an average letterbox 2.9 amdb 5.9 average meta score of 54 uh, rotten tomatoes critics average 51 percent and <laughs> surprisingly enough a rotten tomatoes audience average of 51 percent as well so critics and audiences for once actually totally agree on the averages across all four of these films also just in case anyone was wondering domestically it never broke a billion it was seven hundred five thousand dollars um foreign markets half a billion dollars so as you can see this film was still financially successful but with a budget of 125 and only grossing 107 domestically that is highly troubling coming in 10 million from last time even a lower gross than batman returns audiences weren't taking the bait they just weren't taking the bait especially i believe once word got out uh, with a strong opening weekend number one at the box office people were like don't go see this movie maybe just maybe wait until you can head to your local hollywood video or blockbuster and pick up batman and robin Don't go see this one in theaters. Critics and audiences absolutely hated this film. Well, thank you listeners for coming along with me as I have been your guide to the production and impact of this film. Now that you have your guide to Batman and Robin, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for my full review coming next Monday. And tune in the week after as we review some of my favorite summer movies. And I thought, where better to start than with Joel Schumacher's The Lost Boys?